Well, good morning, Seabreeze. It is great to be back. Many of you know that I, uh, yeah, <laughs> thanks. What the nine of you clapping about is I had uh, eye surgery. And um, many of you know that I had emergency surgery just before Christmas to repair a detached retina in my left eye. And uh, the surgery went well, and my vision continues to improve every day. So I, I'm so grateful uh, for God's protection and for your prayers over the last few weeks. This was, if you're keeping count, this was my fifth eye surgery of the year, last year. The retina in my other eye detached back in May. Then I had two cataract surgeries and then one surgery to repair uh, eyelid damage that was caused by the first surgery uh, to repair the retina. And after this surgery, I asked the doctor, I said, so am I doing something wrong to, to cause all this? Is there some change in diet or something that I need to do? He says, no, this, this kind of thing just happens. And I said, all in one year? He said, well, that, that is kind of unusual. So I was very glad to see 2015 come to an end. And our prayer is that um, I will return to my form in, of 2014, which is I never even went to see the doctor. So that's, that's my goal uh, for this year. We'll see what God allows. But I know that many of you uh, could stand up here and describe the kinds of pressure that you were uh, under and you faced back in 2015. Maybe it was medical pressure like I did. Maybe there was uh, some financial pressure that you were facing. Maybe there was pressure uh, in your family, pressure in your marriage, uh, maybe in your, your own job or career. And the thing is we look forward that we don't know. is We, we don't know, you know the details of, of course, what's going to happen in 2016. But one thing that we can be pretty sure of, and that is that we will all face some kind of pressure in, the, in this new year. Usually we don't get to choose the amount of pressure or the kind of pressure that we will face. But what we do get to choose is whether or not we will have peace in the middle of that pressure. And that's the theme of the, the message series that we are beginning today, Peace Under Pressure. And uh, it's based on the book of Philippians, a, a four-chapter short book in the New Testament portion of the Bible. And the theme verses of this book are found in chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. So let me read these theme verses to you as we get started. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Webster defines peace as a state of tranquility or quiet. Now, the kind of peace that we're going to be talking about in this series of messages is the peace of God. And that's very different than, than normal peace. Normal peace is situational. In other words, it's attached to our surroundings, the situation that we find ourselves in. If our situation is tranquil, then we are tranquil on the inside. But that kind of peace goes up and down as life goes up and down. But the peace of God, it says here, transcends all understanding. What that means is that because it comes from God, it transcends the situation. And so often, as people are observing this kind of peace, they're left kind of scratching their heads. It just doesn't make sense. If you look at the pressure this person is under and the peace that they seem to, to have it, the two don't connect. And that's because it's God's peace. And God's peace is a kind of peace that that is present in every situation. Now, the Apostle Paul is the author of this, this letter to the church in Philippi, the book called Philippians. And what he says about God's peace 
is not just truth that God has revealed to him. It's more than that. It's truth from God that he himself has lived and now knows by experience. So he's writing this letter from a prison cell in Rome. He's awaiting trial, and the outcome of the trial will determine whether or not he will live or die. Hardly a situation that's conducive for peace. But Paul is not just writing words that will bring us peace. These are not words that you can just read or even memorize and recite, and suddenly peace will will descend upon you. No, he's writing words that describe how to access God's peace, steps that we can take. And we experience God's peace as we take these specific steps. And that's because God's peace is is, is kind of like a zone or or a territory. It's present as we walk into the zone of peace or into the territory of peace. And that's why it says in this verse, the peace of God guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. It, 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 it's a guarding thing. Now, to guard something, you have to, first of all, have borders. You can't just guard open space. You, you have to guard something that has boundaries or borders to it. And the border of God's peace can be defined by one word, and that word is grace. God's grace is what outlines the border of His peace. God's peace has a border to it. Philippians 1 verse 2 says this, right after Paul has done his introductions, this is the first thing he says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So grace and peace go together. You see these two phrases over and over again in the New Testament, grace and peace, they always go together. And that's because grace is the border and peace is what's behind the border. It's what's inside the territory of God's grace. Let me define God's grace for you. God's grace, quite simply, is this, God's power at work in your life. It has many different applications. Often it's God's forgiveness, it's it's His kindness, it's His provision, but all summed up together, God's grace is His power, the muscle of heaven applied to your life, God's power at work in your life. Now, you can't see the grace border. It's not a visible border that's marked by a fence line. God's grace is invisible. And so this morning, I want to give you three markers that will help you identify whether or not you have crossed God's grace border or whether you're still on this side of that border. And this would be very helpful if you want to use your listening guide, if you haven't pulled that out already, in your program, kind of help you track as we look through these three markers of God's grace. Marker number one is this, believe in Christ. It's faith in Jesus Christ. We have to come to the point where we decide to place our faith in Jesus Christ. And that's because Jesus Christ is the conduit of God's grace. God's grace flows through His Son, Jesus Christ. We can't find His grace any other way. And so we have to cross the border of putting our faith in Jesus Christ in order to enter into the territory of God's grace and the peace that resides there. This is what it says in Philippians 1, 3-6, the next several verses. Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So Paul is saying, every time I remember you guys and I pray for you, my heart is filled with gratitude and and with joy. 
Now, this is true not because of Paul's situation or, honestly, of their situation. They were under a lot of pressure as well. But Paul says, the reason I feel this way is because of their partnership, your partnership in the gospel with me. The word gospel simply means good news, and it refers to the good news that in Christ, God offers to forgive our sin and repair the break in our relationship with God that was caused by our sin. That's the good news. That, that's the gospel. In order for us to cross this border, we have to put our faith in Christ and accept the offer of God's grace. Now, Paul isn't simply remembering here the fact that God has offered his grace to us in Christ. What he's specifically remembering here is the first day these people accepted that offer. He's talking about the first day. The, the day before and the day after you know, was a, was a different day. He's remembering the day when God began a good work in them, the, the starting point, the day that they crossed the grace border. In other words, there was a day for them before belief and a day after belief, a day when they were outside of God's grace, and then the very next day they were inside of God's grace. Now, there are, there are two visible ways or indicators that, that kind of mark this, this particular aspect of the grace border. There are two visible ways that belief shows up. We tend to think that belief is just, you know, kind of something that we feel, but it's far more than that. And these are the two visible ways that belief in Christ shows up. Number one is obedience. We decide to obey Christ. This is what Jesus says in John 3, 36. Whoever believes in the Son, he's speaking of himself, the Son of God, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Notice that the word believe and obey are used interchangeably in what Jesus said here. I mean, if you're just reading along and it says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, whoever does not, you would think that word would be believe because that's, he's contrasting, but he uses those words interchangeably. That's because they go together and they can be used interchangeably. We in our culture, we have reduced uh, the idea of belief down to, to mean kind of a set of ideas that we are convinced are true and we feel very strongly about. Now, that's, that's part of belief. If you're going to cross the grace border that was purchased and, and made available through Jesus Christ, you're going to have to come to the point where you're convinced that he really is who he said he was, that he really is, in God, God, he really is God in flesh, and he really did die on the cross, and that that, that payment is, is what is required in order for us to be acceptable before God. You have to come to the point where you understand that, but if you just stop there, you still haven't arrived at belief. You've begun the process but you haven't believed yet. It's the decision to actually obey. It's the decision that you're going you're gonna to set your life on track and you're going to do what Jesus says. So in our culture, though, because we, we think of belief only as, as ideas that we feel strongly about, lots of people walk around saying things like, well, I believe that Jesus died for my sin, but when it comes to this area of my life, I don't agree with him or I'm not going to do it for other reasons. Well, according to Jesus, that's, that's not belief. Belief and obedience goes together. Who has eternal life in this verse? Not just those who have the right ideas about Jesus in their head, but those who trust him enough to actually do what he decides or what, what he said. You actually decide to do what he has said. Now, let me be clear. Obedience doesn't earn us God's grace. 
We don't obey and obey and obey, and finally God says, okay, you are now qualified. You can come into the territory of my grace. Obedience doesn't earn us God's grace. It's simply the indicator that we actually have accepted it. It's kind of like having a passport. If you have a passport, that, that passport will give you the right to enter in certain countries. But you're not in those countries until you actually travel there and enter into the borders of those countries. It's the same thing with God's grace. What Jesus did through his death and his resurrection is, is, is an offer to everyone to enter into the God's grace. It's the passport. But simply having access to the passport doesn't mean you've actually entered into his grace. It's not until you decide, you make that basic decision, you know, I'm not going to run my own life. I'm, I'm going to figure out what Jesus wants me to do, and I'm going to do that. That's when you cross the border, when you decide to actually obey. Now, we all stumble in obedience. Every time we cross the border, it doesn't mean from that moment forward, you know, we kind of levitate and glow because we're just, we, we, we now obey and we do everything that God wants us to do. That's not the way it is. We all stumble. So this is not talking about perfect obedience. What this is talking about, this is the basic direction of our life. In, in a sense, what we've done is we've, we've, we've set the compass for our life, and magnetic north is obedience to Jesus Christ. Now, when we fall, we get, get back up, we pull the compass out, and we get back on track. When we drift, we get off track, we come to our senses, and we pull the compass out, and we get back on track. This is the basic setting of our life. And you, you may not be able to tell in a moment, but over the course of a person's life, you can see the direction of their life and what their life is about. And if their life is not about doing what Jesus wants done, then they don't really believe in him. No matter what they say, no matter how deeply they feel, we obey Christ. And Jesus gave us a very visible first step of obedience to take, and that is baptism. This is the second visible way that belief in Christ shows up. We get baptized. Matthew 28, 19 through 20, Jesus says this, some of his last words before he ascended back into heaven. He said, therefore, go and make disciples, followers of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Jesus made it very clear that baptism is to be one of the very first visible steps of obedience for the Christian. One of the first steps that the Christ follower takes that says, well, Jesus said to do this, so I'm going to do it. One of the very first steps. Now, you can't see if someone has really trusted in Christ. You really can't see belief any more than you can see grace. They're real, but they're invisible. But you can see baptism. That's something that's very visible. Here, here's a picture of one of the recent baptisms here at Seabreeze in Center Court, like the one we're going to be doing this next Sunday. It's very visible. It's a very visible test of obedience. Either a person does it or they don't do it. It's their decision, but it's a very visible test. You see, it's hard to tell, for example, if someone is handling their money the way Jesus said we should handle our money. You know, that, that's a private matter. You know, we walk around and nobody can tell. You can't see that. It's hard to know if someone is treating their spouse the way Jesus said that we should relate in a marriage. You know, again, that's, that's kind of a private matter. But baptism, well, that baptism is public. It's done in front of people. You can't go home, take a bath, and call it baptism. You know, baptism is done in front of Christians in the context of a church. It's, it's, it's a public ceremony. You're baptized in front of people. And so if, if you've never made this step, if you've never done this, and you've decided that you want to cross into the boundary of God's grace, you want to cross that border, then I would encourage you to sign up to be baptized next Sunday. You can just on the back of your connection card, there's a box. Just check that and say, I'd, I'd like to get more information on this, and we'll contact you this week. 
And if you're ready, then you can be baptized next Sunday after the first or second service. So that's the, the first indicator of the border, the invisible border of grace. And that is we believe in Christ. The second marker indicator is that we partner with Christ. We don't just cross the border and stop. We now partner with Christ. So the next several verses, a couple of verses in Philippians 1 says this. Paul goes on to say, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you. Since I have you in my heart, and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. So in the middle of, of all the pressure that Paul is under in his prison cell, he's saying, you know, it, it, is, it is appropriate, it is right for me to feel this joy and this gratitude for you. Why? Because he's not in this prison cell all by himself. I mean, he may be there by himself physically, but in reality, he's not alone. Because he says, I I keep remembering how you have all shared in God's grace with me. You see, God's grace is not just a one-on-one arrangement between God and us. There is a personal decision we make, but the implications of that decision involve a partnership with God and with others who have made that same decision. You see, God's grace is not a passive deal. It's not a passive arrangement where we sit down and accept God's grace as we passively sit there. No, we we experience God's grace as we move, as we do our part, and then God does his part. Now, you have to understand clearly the kind of partnership that God offers. He only offers one kind of partnership, and this is it. He is the managing partner. We are the junior partners. Now, that's a hard arrangement for us to to accept. You may sit here and say, well, that makes sense. He's God. I'm not. So he should be the managing partner, and I'm the junior partner. But the way we tend to approach our relationship with God is we set our agendas, we set our goals, we charge after our life, and we would sure be grateful if God would join in and help us. That's just our natural approach. I mean, we just wake up every morning, and we say, God, help me do what I need to do. And and we don't even think about the fact that we... uh, we're the junior partner checking in with the managing partner. And the, the prayer should be something like, well, God, this is what I have planned for the day. What would you like me to do? Is there any changes, any amendments to this? Now, my, in my experience, you discover the changes or the amendments to what God wants you to do, not because he, he changes your Google calendar, but because life just takes off in a different direction. And it's the managing partner says, yeah, we're going to do this now. And we really, really struggle with that because our tendency is to reverse the roles. We set the agendas and we want God to help us. The, the Tuesday before Christmas was, was when my, my left eye, the bottom part of my left eye just, just went dark. I had just completed writing what I was planning to say on Christmas Eve in our services here. And I'd just gotten up, I was walking away from my desk and uh, it, just, it just went dark. And I knew immediately what had happened because it had happened back in May in the other eye. So I, I told my wife, I said, honey, this is going to sound bizarre, but I think the retina of my left eye just, just detached, and we need to go right now. Because I'd learned that if you don't get the, the detachment repaired uh, in time, it can cause permanent blindness. So we went, we were able to get in to see the doctor. Uh, so this was probably about 1.30 in the afternoon. 3 o'clock in the afternoon, we, about, about we got to see the doctor, and the doctor said, yeah, it is a detached retina, and we need to do surgery tonight. And... The first thing I felt was actually nothing. I, I, I was just in shock. I just, I, I couldn't believe it. 
But the very, the very first emotion I felt was anger. Anger, honestly, towards God. My, my thought was something like this. Really? Are you kidding me? Now, in the middle of this, right now, this is what happens. I, I just, I was, I was angry. The reason, fundamentally, I was angry is because surgery was not my plan for that night. You know what my plan was for that night? I was going to go see Star Wars. <laughs> now, honestly, isn't that a better plan? That sounds like a better plan, doesn't it? It's a much better plan. But instead of Star Wars, I was having my eye repaired. And, and that's the problem with being the junior partner. We do not run the show. That's, that's what junior means. God runs the show. And we, we, we really struggle with that. And the only way we're going to find peace is as we partner together with God in His grace and we accept. We accept the fact that He manages life. And then after anger, a few days later, the next emotion I felt was fear. The reason I felt fear is, well, this was actually the day after the surgery. Went in, the, the doctor took the patch off the eye. And it turns out, the, the surgery went well, but my left eye was pointing off in this direction. You know, I'd, I'd, he'd say, look to the right, and this eye would not budge. And he said, well, um, you know, this, this happens. And I thought, oh, great. I'm glad it happens. And um, he said, it looks like the muscle that controls that part of the eye, you know, was, was damaged. There's probably some anesthesia still effect, and, it, you know, it's going to take a while maybe to wear off. And... He said, if, if it's muscle damage, he said, that, that generally should clear itself up in, in a matter of weeks. He said, but it's, there's a possibility there's some nerve damage that was caused. And he said, if it's nerve damage, that also often clears itself up, but it, but it can take as much as six months. And then if it doesn't, isn't cleared up in six months, then we do something else. I forgot to ask him, what is something else? <laughs> I thought of that later. You know how you always think of extra questions from the doctor? It's like, oh, what is something? Well, I don't, maybe it's good, I don't know. But I, I really struggle with fear because what I was, what I was thinking is, is, I mean, with my eye pointing off in this direction, it was already, I mean, I couldn't see clear at all. I could just see light. I couldn't make out much. But just having that image, you know, two images, I was already starting to get nauseated. I could hardly balance. I, it was just really a struggle. And I thought, I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I, can't, I can't do my job. And what's going to happen here and at Seabreeze and if it's six months and if it's longer and... Now, I, I really struggle with fear. And it was only as I struggled to, and this wasn't easy, as I really struggled to trust the managing partner that peace came. But it was hard. You see, it's scary being the junior partner. That's why we keep pretending we're the managing partner. We like to live in the illusion that we actually make things happen. And then fear enters our life, and it's God reminding us, junior partner, I'm the managing partner. So how do you build a, a, a partnership, an ongoing, growing partnership with Jesus Christ? Well, there again, there are two visible actions for this one. Do you remember what it said back in verse 5? Paul said, I'm, I'm, I remember and I am joyful because of your partnership in what? In the gospel. You see, we partner with Jesus, first of all, as we join his mission. And the mission of Jesus is the good news, his gospel, the gospel. As we get involved in, in helping advance and, and help other people learn and know the good news of God's grace offered in His Son, Jesus Christ. 
You see, managing partners set the agenda. Junior partners help advance the agenda. Now, how do you do that? You don't need to quit your day job to do this. Like Paul, like Paul did, we advance the gospel personally, primarily in two ways, by defending it and confirming it. What does that mean? Defending doesn't just mean you, you get all defensive and upset about Jesus whenever that topic comes up. It means that you, you are willing to open your mouth and explain and help other people understand what it actually means, what the good news is. You, you're able to articulate it. Now, you may say, well, I, I don't know that much. Well, start with what you know. If you have, if you have decided to follow Jesus, you, you know enough about what he's offered And you've become convinced enough to cross that border into the land of His grace. So explain that. Help other people understand. Why did you make that decision? Why did you step into this? And what is it that Jesus offers? So go ahead and do that. And then as time goes on, learn more and learn more so that you can explain more. So we we defend the gospel. We, We open our mouth and we help other people understand it. Then the next thing is confirming. Confirming. What does that mean? Well, that means that your life is evidence. It, it, it confirms. It's a vote that says this actually works. The gospel actually works. Now, you might think, well, people look at my life, and they might not be so sure it works. So I don't know if I can do that. Well, in order to confirm the gospel, you don't need to be perfect. But you do need to be progressing and moving. So it may be a challenge for you to kind of get growing. Oftentimes people say, you know, I I really don't want people to know that I'm a Christian because then when I mess up, people are going to say, yeah, it doesn't work. And the idea is that that once I get my life completely put together, then I can kind of open my mouth and let people know that I follow Christ. But let me ask you this. If if you see someone whose life appears all together, is that encouraging to you? No, that's discouraging. When people see a life that's all together and they identify with Jesus Christ, what that person tends to think is, yeah, that's why I could never do that. You know, I, I'm, not, I'm not able to do these kinds of things. I, I can't handle this. But you see, the truth is, is, is when you are honest about who you are and when you make a mistake and when you mess up and then you actually ask God for forgiveness and ask the person for forgiveness, that tells the other person, you know what? I'm kind of messed up like they are. Maybe I could follow Jesus too. There's hope for me. Now, I'm not saying display all of your weaknesses and, and, and make sure your life is a big mess so that people will follow Jesus. You'll, you'll do well enough on that on your own. What I am saying is just be honest. Just be honest and grow and make progress. And what will happen over time is people will say, you know what? That actually works. It looks like it works in that life. So you're confirming the gospel. Defending, in order to defend the gospel, it requires you to open your mouth so that people can hear the truth. In order to confirm the gospel, it requires you to open your life up so that people can actually see the truth. So we join his mission, which is the gospel. And then we join in his method, that is the church. You know, Jesus doesn't have just one junior partner and you're it. Everyone who crosses the grace border is qualified to be a junior partner and is a junior partner. That's why Paul says, all of you share with me in God's grace. You share in God's grace with me. Now, this statement that Paul made was not just to Christians in general throughout the entire world. This statement was made to Christ followers at a specific local church. 
This was a letter sent to a church, a church that had a location. Paul's saying, all of you share in God's grace with me. You see, we work together on the mission of Christ in the context of the church, not just as individuals. The reason for this primarily is that the job of expanding the gospel in the world is far too big for any one of us. So God divides it up amongst all of us and gives each one of us a part. And when we come together as a church to do our part, we become, what the New Testament says, we become the body of Christ. All of the parts assembled together, and it's as if Jesus himself, his body, was physically still here doing what he would do. We become the body of Christ, not just in theory, but in reality, in a particular location. Now, we all have a part to play, and sometimes people think that, well, my part's not that important. I just have a minor part to play in this church. So if I don't show up, or if I don't do it, or if I'm not really that serious about it, you know, everything keep, seems to keep rolling on without me, but we, we misunderstand at that point how important every part is as we work together. I mean, you, you may look at what I do here. You know, I'm standing up in front of people on Sundays, and my part gets all kinds of attention because it's more public than maybe your part is. But if you don't do your, if you're part of this body, this church, if you don't do your part, what I do doesn't matter. I mean, let, let me give you some examples. If, if there weren't right now, people volunteering, doing their part in the kids' ministry, Sunday school teachers and, and assistants and, and helpers. If, if that wasn't happening, this would be a very distracted environment, right? I mean, kids, they can't, you know, they, they have a hard time to focus, and, 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 and they wouldn't really understand much. I mean, I'm not designing this to, to connect with whatever level a four-year-old is at. You know, we've designed things there to kind of make sense at that different level. So if there weren't people doing that part, this wouldn't really work that well. I, I, there's no way I could coach all of the upward basketball teams. I mean, if you were here on site yesterday with hundreds of kids and, and parents, you know, doing all of that as we reach out in the community, I, I can't coach all of the teams. I can't referee all of the games. I can't print all of the programs that you're using today or hand them out. I, I can't get the campus all cleaned up and ready each and every week. I can't do all that. I, I'm just one part. It's a visible part, but it's just one part. You know, recently, someone who is brand new to Seabreeze visited, you know, for the first time. And if you're visiting here for the first time, you know what I'm talking about. It, it's, it's a big step to walk into a new place and not know anybody. So they were feeling a little uncomfortable, and, and they were actually getting ready to leave just because they felt a little uncomfortable. And then someone reached out to them, and they decided to stay. And now they're a part of the church. They're connected. See, I, I can't do that. I can't be out there greeting people. I can't be looking for people who are new and maybe kind of need some help to figure out, you know, what's going on or someone to, you know, talk to them. I, I'm, I'm up here. I, I can't do all that, but you can. And as, as you do your part and I do my part, we partner together with Jesus in what his agenda is. In fact, if you're a volunteer here at Seabreeze in any capacity, I want to invite you to attend one of two meetings that we're having this month. These are vision and training meetings. And the first part of the meeting, I'm, I'm going to be talking about what our plans are and some of the exciting things that we're looking at for the next year. The second part of the meeting is we're going to divide up into the different areas of ministry and do some training in the different areas. So you can pick one of these meetings, either Monday night, the 18th, from 7 to 8.30, or Sunday afternoon, the 24th, from 4.30 to 6. 
But what you do, if you're a part of this church, is critical. It's critical to being a partner of Jesus Christ. So, first of all, we believe in Christ. If we're going to cross this grace border where peace is behind it, we believe in Christ. Then we partner with Christ. And then lastly, number three, we grow in Christ. We grow in Christ. Philippians 1, 9 through 11 says this, and this is my prayer, the next verse is, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So this is Paul's specific prayer of grace and peace. If you remember in verse 2, he's already stated his desire was for them to experience God's grace and the peace that resides behind it. Then he went on to talk about the fact that he's praying for them all the time. But now he says, this is what I'm praying. Starts, and this is my prayer. Let me tell you specifically what I'm praying. If, if you're going to experience God's grace and the peace that resides behind it, here's what I'm praying for you. He's praying, quite simply, that they would grow. They've crossed the border. They're partnering with Christ. And now he wants them to to make progress deep into the territory behind the border of God's grace. He wants them to grow. You see, God's grace partnership isn't just simply to advance the gospel in this world. It's also to grow us. God wants us to grow. And growth in Christ, again, occurs on two visible tracks. The first track is it grows in love. In other words, you get better and better and better at loving other people. That's how you know you're growing. You get better and better in love. Now, in our culture, love is primarily a feeling or, or an emotion. So it's hard to know, you know, other than just kind of crying a little bit more, I mean, how you would grow in love. But that's not what love is. You know, we, we tend to think in our culture, as long as I feel loving towards someone and I think I'm loving towards them, then I must, in fact, be loving. But that's not necessarily the case. As it says here, Paul says, what I'm praying is that your love would grow more and more in what? in knowledge and depth of insight. That's not just a feeling, that, that's content. Knowledge is, what knowledge is, is it's the understanding of the categories involved. You know, whatever you do for work or whatever your, your degree was in, you, you have been trained and you know all of the, or at least many of the categories involved in that area. You know, I'm not an eye surgeon because all I know is eye. If, if you're going to be an eye surgeon, you got to have a whole lot more categories than eyeball. You've got to know all kinds of stuff and, and, and how you do that. And the same thing is with love. You've got you to know the categories. And there are a tremendous number of categories and complexity involved in really loving people. Let me give you an example, some examples. Do you know how to love a person who is angry? Do you know how to love a person who is being manipulative? Do you know how to love someone who's, who's addicted right now? Do you know what love looks like in a marriage? I mean, in Scripture, there's some big differences between the way a husband loves his wife and the way a wife loves her husband. There's some similarities, but there's some significant differences. Do you know what they are? And I could go on and on and on. Much of Scripture is a de detailed description about how we love in all of these unique situations. You see, it requires knowledge and depth of insight. Depth of insight is the ability to apply that knowledge, to apply the right category to the current situation. So what that means is you're, you're in an environment and, and you're trying to figure out how to love 
And you're able to see, here's the situation, here's the category that applies to that situation, and you're actually able to do that. You, you have insight, in depth of insight, you're able to take the knowledge and actually do it. You see, it's, it's the ability to apply that gives you depth of insight. Now, so what this basically means is it's entirely possible to feel like you are a very loving person and yet not be. Just like it's entirely possible to feel like you're a really good driver and not be. <laughs> right? I mean, there's people that they think they're really good drivers. It's like, nah, I'm not getting in the car. <laughs> the issue for both is what? Not how they feel, but skill. Are they, in fact, good drivers? Do they know what to do? And can they do it in the right moment? Are they skilled? Same thing with love. It's not a matter of how you feel about your love. It's, are you, are you actually good at it? Do you have skill? And is it growing? You see, skill, well, it, you know, it, it has to be learned. Love has to be learned and then practiced over and over and over to, so that you can do it in the moment. So you grow in love, and then you grow in righteousness. That's the second track. Righteousness simply means to do what God says is right. That's the root of the word, right. So again, we cross the border of God's grace whenever we decide to obey God. But let's be honest, at that point, we're not very righteous. I mean, you don't qualify in order to cross the border. Jesus did that. You accept his gift of forgiveness, and you step across the border of God's grace. You've made the basic decision. You've turned the compass set of your life towards obedience to Christ. But you cross the border, and you've got a long ways to go. You're not that righteous. None of us are. In fact, if your righteousness could be measured at that point, it would probably look like just a little bit of water in the bottom of a glass, you know, the water being your righteousness. But as we partner with God over time, here's what He wants. He fills us with, as it says in this verse, the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to notice that it's called the fruit of righteousness, not the decision of righteousness. This is one of the mistakes I, I made early on after I crossed the border of God's grace. I thought that if I just decided to do what was right, it would happen. Turns out I was a whole lot weaker than I thought. Now, some of those things I was able to do, but other things, I just struggled and struggled and struggled, and some I still struggle with. And what I didn't understand is that doing what is right grows over time the way fruit does. It's not just a decision. How does fruit grow? Over time, in the right environment. So you've got to get into the environment, ongoing environment. You can't just decide one week to grow in righteousness. You have to decide to, this week to be in the environment, next week to be in the environment, and the week after that, and the month after that, and the year after that. You have to stay in the environment of righteousness in order for you to grow the fruit of righteousness. Now, this is one of the reasons we've designed our growth groups the way we have. Our growth groups here at Seabreeze are, are designed to be greenhouses of growth in Christ. They have all of the key ingredients. You've got God's Word. You can't grow without the knowledge, without understanding the categories. And so in the growth groups, we take what we talk about on Sunday mornings, and we go further with that. We do more discussion and conversation about what, what do these categories mean and what do they look like. And then you've got the opportunity to meet and learn from other people. Often it's, it's as you see other people doing this. I mean, how'd you learn how to drive? Someone helped you learn how to drive. The same way in your relationship with Christ. And then you get a chance to have deeper conversations about how, how would we actually apply this in our situation, in our context. 
So again, if you've never been a part of a growth group or you're thinking, eh, I don't really have time, I would encourage, it's not that much time, it's 90 minutes, it's 10 weeks. Invest in your growth and partner with Christ. So let me ask you a couple of questions. Number one, are you under pressure right now? You don't have to answer me, just in your head. Are you under pressure? My guess is most likely. If not, don't worry about it. It'll come. <laughs> you don't have to go looking for it. It'll, it'll arrive in, in proper time. Question number two is more important. Are you at peace? On the inside, are, are you at peace? If not, it could be it just possibly could be that you've never crossed the border of God's grace and decided to put your faith in Christ. Oh, maybe you've said you believe in it, but you've never, you've never took the compass of your life and said, this is what my life is going to be about. I'm not going to do it perfectly, but this is what it's going to be about. You've never made that decision. And so because you've never really put your faith in Christ, you're trying to endure the pressure of whatever it is without God's help. And it's just too much. So that could be it. Or it could be that you've made yourself the managing partner of your life. Now, if you're like me, I decide to be the junior partner, and then an hour later, I'm back to managing partner. I got to go back to junior partner. But maybe you've just never made that basic decision. And so you're managing your life. It's all about you, and if God decides to help out, well, then God's great. If not, you're kind of mad at him. But remember, God doesn't do junior partner. Or it could be that you've stopped growing. I mean, maybe you, you decide, you know, I just... I want to cross the grace border, but then I'm just going to kind of stop. I'm just going to sit down. I'm going to get busy doing all these other things, but I'm really not going to, I'm not going to grow. You see, God's peace is not found at the border of his grace. It's found as you venture deeper and deeper and deeper into the land of grace. What we're going to be talking about over time is, in this series, is, is God often allows pressure to come into our life to push us further into the land of grace so that we can experience peace. Our tendency is to sit down. And that could be why you don't have peace. You're not growing. So you need to get growing. Let me give you some next steps as we wrap up this morning. First of all, I would encourage you, as I've said, sign up for a growth group. Now, they start this week, but carve out the time and make that a step of growth uh, this spring, this winter. The second thing is I would, I would invite all of you to read the, the book of Philippians this week. In fact, each week we're doing this, I'm going to invite you to read the entire book. It's only four chapters. It's not going to take very long. But I, I would love for you to get familiar with this book as we go through it. So read through the book of Philippians this week. The next suggestion is to memorize this, this theme passage out of the book of Philippians. Philippians 4, 6 through 7, where it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation... By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. Write that down on a card, put it in your phone, memorize it. I would encourage you to do that. And then lastly, I would invite you to make Sundays a priority. As we go through this series of messages, we talk about peace under pressure. I would encourage you to make Sundays a priority. I know for some of you, you, know, you, you, you visit occasionally, and that's great. We're glad that you're here. But I would encourage you to, to consider trying to make Sundays, bump them up in priority and, and make it a priority to be here. At this point, I want to invite uh, Lance and Crystal Unruh up on stage. So you may be able to tell by his last name, Lance is my son. Crystal is his wife. Lance is also, as of this week, the newest member of our staff here at Seabreeze. So we're excited about that. 
Uh, Lance's title is uh, assistant pastor. He's going to be working under Joe Gadotti, our executive pastor, and he'll be assisting Joe uh, in starting a number of new ministries here at Seabreeze that we're excited about. Lance will also be assisting uh, in the, the worship team up here on stage. He'll also be assisting the young adult ministries, and so we're excited that Lance and Crystal are here. In uh, preparation for this position, both Lance and Crystal have been in a pretty intensive ministry training program for the past four years, while both of them have been working full-time. And Lance is also uh, pursuing his master's degree in divinity, should be able to complete that uh, about a year from this May. So I wanted to introduce them to you, and I want to pray for them. And then also in this service, just something a little unique. We hadn't planned this, but my parents are here today as well. So why don't you guys stand up? You're, you're, this is my mom. This is my dad over here. So... So this is, this is three generations, not only, uh, you know, DNA, but uh, in ministry. Um, my dad was a pastor for 40 years. I'm now about 26 years. Lance, about a week. So uh, <laughs> got a ways to go. So, <laughs> so it's kind of neat for us. So join me in prayer as we, as we close out here. Father, we, um, we are so grateful for your, for your grace. Um, life is just too hard for us to manage on our own. We need your forgiveness and your kindness in this life and the one to come. So we thank you for your grace. And I pray that you'd help us to venture deep into the land of grace and experience peace in the middle of the pressure that we face. Uh, We thank you so much uh, for bringing Lance and and Crystal here for the training that they've received and the help that we will be able to get from them. I just pray that you would bless the work of their hands as they begin in ministry. I pray that many would come to know you, Christ, through their Uh, efforts and through their leadership and planning, and that many would grow in you over time. We're grateful uh, for this, and we pray this now in your name, Jesus. Amen.